This morning's scripture reading is from Romans 8, 18 through 25. So I'll give you a minute to um, pull that up so you can read along with me. Again, that's Romans 8, 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lauren, for reading that passage out of Romans to us this morning. We are uh, continuing a series we began last week. We generally work through books of the Bible at Bethany Church as we just finished up Mark a few weeks or a month or so back. But from time to time, we will take a moment in the life of the church when I think it's valuable, when I think it's important, when there's something we should hit topically and let the text drive us as we address this topic as well. So last week, we began our new series that's called Your Body Matters, a biblical look at our life as embodied embodied creatures. If you missed it, last week I encourage you to go on our website and listen to week one of this uh, series at canbebethany.org, or you can find it on our podcast app. Uh, we made the case last week with questions uh, about our bodies, our sexuality, our gender, life and death issues, questions and issues that have become crucial lightning rod issues of our age. We talked about what heightens the challenge is that these issues are affecting real people, real lives, every area of society, and changing really the fundamental building block of all societies for all times. That's some of the most important questions a human can answer. Here was a few of them. What does it mean to be a person, a human? What's our body for? What is the relationship of our soul to our body? What is biological sex? What is gender? What's a boy or a girl? That's a question people are asking in our culture. What do we do at the end of life? Combined with these, we talked last week about these questions. There seems to be a revolutionary spirit that's, that's at play here that's demanding not just tolerance, but celebration and affirmation to the answers to these questions, some of them even false. And so what do we do with that in the church? That's why we have to have a series like this. And even making it more complex, they're real people's lives who are hurting and broken, broken, left in shambles after buying into the lies of this revolution that are kind of churned out in its wake, hurting people we love, people in our families, people in our church, people we care about, 
That's why we have to talk about this. We come to this series for these reasons, the facts that this revolution, though, can't succeed. Have you ever thought about that? It cannot succeed because it's built on fundamental lies about what it means to be human and what our bodies are for, and it cannot and won't prevail. And that's where the church needs to stand, right there with compassion and truth alongside those who are finally ready for something different when they've exhausted all the promises of this sexual revolution, as many have called it. We can't bury our heads. We can't ignore where our culture's going. And we have this call on all of us to make disciples of the nations, don't we? And so we have to live in the real nation we're actually in and those we're trying to reach. Because Christianity offers something unique. The message of Jesus offers something unique. To those who feel a a, a discord is the word. Between or a disunity with their bodies. Which is, by the way, all of us we're going to talk about this morning. All of us. From a clothing crisis to pain and illness, to eating disorders, to gender disorders, we all have body issues. All of us. This is where we're going to go today. Confusion abounds with our bodies, but why? Why so much confusion? If our bodies are a gift from God, why do we have so many body issues? So many things going on. This Sunday we're going to look at the story of God's blueprint for our bodies, we're going to call it. We're going to explore the kind of the, the resultant, the result, the discord and confusion with our bodies that came about through the fall, with sin entering the world, and see how the gospel gives the only true hope for all our body issues. So we're going to look at three kind of chapters of a story today. So grab your outline, a text open to Romans. We're going to do some Genesis and Romans as well. As I said, we're sort of jumping around in this series. We're going to look at these three chapters today, with, which really line up with the story of the Bible, creation, fall, and redemption, creation, fall, and redemption, this overarching narrative of the Bible. So let's take a look at the first chapter. Here it is. God is creator. God is the maker. Give the blueprint for our bodies. Not only our bodies, their, their purpose, and our, our, our sexes or, or, or gender, you might say, male or female. Here's our first chapter where we start today. There's no way to underestimate the importance of the first three chapters of Genesis. There's no way to underestimate it. We're going to camp there next week, actually, as well. But we want to look for a moment at what it means, again, that God is creator, that he's the maker. And the consequences of that being we are creatures, and therefore our blueprint, our design, our purpose, and our our sex even is from him. Because to understand this allows us to make sense of what we see happening in our culture right here and right now with so much confusion. And it allows you to, to today a real framework to deal with your own body issues, whatever those might be. If we start here, we think too low of the body is what we said last week. Even as Christians, we think too low of the body. It's just matter. What matters is the soul. No, they both matter, we learned last week. and We'll talk about it again today. When I was a college pastor before starting here at Bethany Church, uh, the college town where I pastored, 
there was, it was a polytechnic institute, they call it. Many technical is what that means. Many technical subjects. So they studied the sciences, uh, engineering, biology, computers. They were all smarter than me, all of them. And it was my first few weeks on the job, and I went to meet some of the students on campus for a prayer time. We sat around this circle table. I'd never, I just met these kids. I just started my job. There's about 10 of us at the table. We sat down at this table, and when all of a sudden one of the students took out one of these, you see, and everybody went, ooh. The whole table kind of went, ah, like it was a new car or something. You know, I'd never really seen one of these. It's a computer uh, motherboard, they call it. It's the inside of a computer motherboard. And they proceeded to pass it around the table and smell it. I'm thinking, like, you've got to be kidding me. So I asked the little man, like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? He looked at me and he says, fresh motherboard. It's the smell of nerds. <laughs> but he, I thought it was like in an episode of Big Bang Theory or something. Uh, it's just a weird moment for me. But what I noticed was not the smell of that board, but as it was passed to me, I noticed the intricate design of that board. How there's little parts, little, little parts and pieces and wires and things that are woven together. So much detail, even in something like this. When you see that, it, you can't help but go, somebody made this. This points to a, a designer, a, a, a maker, a, a purpose giver, giver, uh, giver even. If I tried to use it to catch fish, how well would that work? Fry a hamburger, cook a hamburger, no. Frisbee, maybe, that might work. Its purpose even, what it's for, was designed. This thing didn't just create itself, its purpose or its smell, really, for that matter. The Bible makes it very clear. We were designed to, and well-designed. When we look at the Bible, we see a clear design, order, and, and blueprint that God works out as He creates Remember the lights and the sky and the earth and the, the creatures and the vegetation and humans. And he stands back from his blueprint, his creation, and he says this. God saw everything. Everything he had made. And behold, it was very good. It was very good. Not just mediocre. Not bland or purposeless. But very good. Some of it smelling good and bad, but very good. He made it. Everything had meaning and order and laws that would govern it, from the mountains to the oceans and how far they would go to the ants in your garden. All of it was his that he made. And he's a God of order, not of chaos, of order. But the pinnacle, the pinnacle is you and I, is us. Humans. Hold your place in Romans. Turn to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 26. Let's take a look at that real quick. The pinnacle was humans. It's passages you heard before, but like I said, you can't go to Genesis 1 through 3 enough in your life. So let's take a look. Genesis 1, 26. I love hearing some pages turn. Look at that. And God said, let the earth bring forth living, excuse me, down 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him blueprint, design there. And God blessed them and God said to them, if he's the maker, he can have the authoritative voice. Here's your purpose. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He saves for last, for last, the best, the best for last. And he spends an incredible time and detail on the purpose and the design of humans. You, me. And he says, You're not identical to me. You're not God. I made you, but you image me. You're like me in many ways, all kinds of ways. You'll represent me on earth, and you'll rule the earth as my regents, my representatives, that means, my beautiful men and women that I made. He made you. You're beautiful to him, that means. Then he said, now get to work, didn't he? He gave us a purpose. He said, I made you. Now here, go. Be fruitful. Multiply. Work. Subdue the earth. Build stuff out of it. He gave us his purpose. And God is the only one who can give us value. Because he made us. I love this quote. It says, no one, not the state, not any philosophy, not any social movement, Give humanity more dignity and worth than who? The God who made us. Then God can. Our value and worth does not come from ourselves. It's God given. He gave it to you. And like that motherboard, that strange piece of equipment that doesn't make any sense outside of the whole computer, like that motherboard whose value is greater than just the sum of all its parts because it has a purpose, and a design, so you too and I have a a greater value than our paycheck, your SAT score, your stunning good looks, your popularity, your persuasiveness, whatever, your talent at something that you love. You're, You're more than just the parts. Body, mind, soul, heart, all of you carries that dignity that means then because you were made. And God gave you that dignity, that value, that worth. Which means, too, as we talked last week, your body matters, too, doesn't it? What you do with your body matters, too. Much more than our world believes, actually. And what we do with it matters. You might say, as you think about that, then, so God made me, all right. He gave me this purpose, but why do we still have so many issues with this matter, this stuff? Uh, our, our body. It's the second chapter today. First one, God made us the blueprint, our design, our purpose, our sexes. The second one was this. Here's our second chapter. The fall. The fall was an attempt to rewrite the blueprint that resulted in some really big things. We're using the word discord. It just means it doesn't connect. doesn't feel united or integrated. A discord with our bodies, with your body now. Way back in history, thousands of years Something happened that's caused this discord. These, these feelings that you have or thoughts that don't feel right. 
being creatures, then, here's what it means. Your highest good, my highest good, your flourishing, the, the, the most joy for your life and pleasure means living in line with how you were designed, living in line with reality, all of us now, how God designed and made us and the purpose even he gave us. It's not necessarily the easiest way to live, is it, in a fallen world? It's not easy to be a follower of Christ, to live for him, to love him, to obey him, to speak for him, to live in a purpose. It's hard. It's not necessarily the easiest. As we know even from our body issues, living in a real body in a fallen world. It's not the most popular way to live. What God is teaching through his word here today makes me a bigot in many circles. It's not popular. And yet God is teaching through his word. But if we are made, it's where you will flourish. If you're a creature, and he's the one that has the purpose and the design and the blueprint to go outside of that, there's danger. But our good comes from living in line with our design. When we reject the blueprint, what are we actually rejecting? The designer, the one behind it, the one who made it, the one who gave us our purpose and we open ourselves to a host of other problems. We don't have the freedom or the power, and I would add to that the wisdom, to recreate ourselves. We just don't. But we so badly want to, don't we? To customize ourselves like we can. Ever thought with our social media filters? Have you thought about that? There's a reason we're obsessed with social media filters. You see a few of them popping up. Now, please hear me. There is nothing wrong, a couple of them kind of creepy, there's nothing wrong with, inherently wrong, with using a social media filter. Nothing, right? Have you ever stopped to think why we become so obsessed with them? Think about that for a moment. Part of it has to come from a desire deep in our hearts to be able to recreate ourselves with the touch of a screen, to rebrand ourselves, to represent ourselves to the world as we would like to see ourselves. Again, like I said, nothing inherently wrong with using a social media filter. But our obsession with them points to that, that desire, I think, deep in our hearts to expand the limits on the constraints of our face, our identity, the body God gave us to be whatever we define ourselves to be with a click. Change the blueprint, transform the design. Like Adam and Eve attempted. Like Adam and Eve attempted. As we're back in Genesis since then, we've been tweaking and distorting and attempting to reshape our purpose and God's design from the garden. And at the end of chapter 2, excuse me, at the end of chapter 1, how do we find Adam and Eve? Here's the verse. It's the next one there, guys. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. After their creation, we find them at the end of, uh, of, of chapter 1. Just things are going great. There's perfect harmony with each other and God, and obviously with their bodies. They're just out there. That's what we find at the end of Genesis 1. They're just naked. We know the story doesn't end there. God had designed them to live under his authority. And what did he give them to remind them that? Remember? He gave them that tree. He graciously gave them a visual picture of that authority, a tree they were not to eat from. To be reminded, 
oh yeah, I'm not my maker. There's someone above me. And he set that tree in the garden as a grace, really, to them to remind them of that, a visual picture. Well, Satan comes to Eve, we know, and he gives her the lie of all lies. Really, did, did God really design you? Did God really design the world to work this way? Did, did God really say that you can't eat from any trees? It's actually not what he said. He said just from one. Or in our terms, that did God really say that you can't be anything you feel like being? Are you sure? Satan offered them this pathway, a pathway to autonomy, to, to, to a, a pathway of choice, a pathway of, of pleasure, of power. He promised them with these lies. And in that moment, it did. It looked right. It, 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 it felt right. Even as they knew the design, they knew the order, they knew the truth, but they followed their inner instinct and feelings and desires. And they tried to rewrite that blueprint. We will be God. And they used their good designed bodies to rebel. Did you ever think about that? They used their good designed bodies to rebel. Their ears listened to Satan. Their eyes see the fruit. Their mouths begin to, to water, right? Their teeth they use to bite, to chew it. And their taste buds and tongue to taste it and then down, obviously, into their stomach. So is it any surprise then? Is it any surprise then? Since they used those good designed bodies to rebel against their maker, that the initial result was a shame of their bodies. Think about that. That was the initial result. Here's what we find in Genesis 3. They ate it, and then what happened? The eyes of both were open, and they knew then that they were naked. Not before, after. They knew they were naked, and so what they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It's the first clothing crisis. They realized... A big body issue all of a sudden. We're naked. we got to do something about this. This doesn't feel right anymore. But seriously, though, the result of their rejection of God's design and order, it was, it was a shame. It was an awkwardness within their own body now. They didn't feel right in their own skin. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that? I think all of us. A time when you just didn't feel right in your own skin in your own body, not responding the way you wanted to. It doesn't feel right. Emotions connected with that, all of it bound up together. It's our story too, isn't it? This is our story. And the biblical narrative is the only place where you find a true hope and answer to why we have so many body issues. It's right here. It's the only one that gives an answer to why we're now living with these strange bodies that break down or don't work the way we want or feel wrong even sometimes. Only Christianity can uniquely account for why it would sometimes you would sometimes feel a discord with your body. It is the catastrophic, comprehensive effects of the fall. The fall. Here's what Sam Albury said. He's a, a pastor who struggles with same-sex attraction himself. 
if it chooses to live celibate for Christ, he said, sin causes profound alienation, first and foremost from God, and we're alienated from ourselves too. What was meant to be whole and integrated, our mind, body, and spirit, it's now deeply like fractured. It just doesn't work right. We don't feel aligned in ourselves. We, don't, we sometimes underestimate the fall. It impacted everything. Not as bad as it could have. We're not all as evil as we could be. But every area of us and every part of us becomes impacted by that fall. And so we're fractured. We're broken. We feel out of joint with ourselves. We don't like our looks. We don't like our weight. We don't like our hair. We don't like our voice. We have depression. There's cancer. There's eating disorders. There's cutting disorders. There's heart disease. There's gender dysphoria. That's why. That's why. Christianity gives a unique why. All of these are caused by sin that entered the world, which means all of us struggle with body issues. All of us in this room. Every one of us. It's an equal level playing field here. And the curse we know was death. The ultimate, a separation of soul from body that shows symptoms right away in Adam and Eve's naked shame, doesn't it? It shows up right away. And remember, we saw last week how this bodily alienation, real quick, plays out in that two-story narrative. You remember from last week? The body becomes this sort of expendable, you can get rid of it, doesn't matter, there's no value or purpose behind it, and the person, the inner you, becomes the real you. Fractured, there it is, when that's not the reality. They're unified, person and body, we're one. Soul and body, we're one. And yet culture now, because we even feel it, we've separated them. So what happens then with the idea of biology and gender in this transgender moment you might call it we're living in? Here's what happens. Go to the next slide. Your body is just matter. You just happen to have been born into it. You just happen to be born. Remember they, last week the quote, they called it a meat skeleton. Kind of crude, but that's the reality. You just happen to be born into it. Gender then becomes the internal you, what you feel. When a biblical worldview is always attached, gender, sex, whatever you want to call it, to biology. Always. But now there's a two-story fractured view in the world, and every gets, everything gets confused because the body isn't trusted anymore. The body is to be overcome. The body is to be manipulated to, to match the real inside you. wasn't that way in the garden. We shouldn't be surprised, I'm saying. If God made that body, designed it, and gave it to you, why should we trust it any less than our feelings? Think about that. Have you ever thought about that? Why should we trust feelings more than the body we've been given if it's been given to us by a good maker? Why should we trust feelings more? Why is the real you the inside you and not also the stuff you? Why is it not both? We have two stories. We detach them from each other. In fact, why not trust the objective reality in the body more? You know, the 80 to 90% of kids that struggle with, uh, they call it gender dysphoria. It means you feel inside like you're in the wrong body. Do you know that 80 to 90% of them, if given the chance, which they're not anymore, outgrow that feeling? Think about that. They outgrow that feeling, and the feelings begin to align at some point in their life. 80 to 90 percent, and yet they're not given that chance anymore. I was talking 
to someone this week who's personally struggled with what you'd call gender dysphoria, which, like I said, is the feeling inside that your gender doesn't match your biological sex, which on its own, I want us to hear that, on its own, gender dysphoria is not a sin. It's a real thing. Because of the fall, because of this discord, it's a real thing. And on its own, it's not sin to have that feeling. It would be the same way of saying if you had an eating disorder uh, or the feelings of an eating disorder saying, thinking you're overweight when you really don't, you're not, it's not a sin either. It's when you begin to actively rebel that you cross into that line to God's design. And this person said to me, she said, it was because of people in my life pointing me to, lovingly to, the truth that my body did matter. It's, she said, because they did that, I was able to begin a process of healing. It took a long time, she said, and I had to intellectualize it for a long, long time before my feelings began to line up with the body. But she said, if somebody wouldn't have said that and would have just affirmed me the whole way, she said, I don't know where I'd be today. I'd be in a lot more dangerous place than I am now. Somebody who's willing to come alongside and say, I trust your feeling. Just pause. Hit pause. Maybe trust your body, too. Hiding the truth never helps anyone. We've got to do it lovingly and graciously. But hiding the truth never helps anyone. If there's a real designer and a real purpose, so where's the hope, then, for us with body issues? What do we do, then? If hiding the truth doesn't help, what do we do? It's our third chapter today. Now, what we see, we still groan. The Romans 8 passage that Lauren read. We still groan, but it's with eager eyes towards the future hope, the redemption of our bodies. Look at that Roman 8, Romans 8 passage with me. Paul says that creation groans. It, it's, it's, it's been put into futility and a, and a bondage because of the fall and Things don't work like they're supposed to. And then he says in verse 22 and 23, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's what we wait for. That's what we hope in. He says, the blueprint still exists. The, the, the blueprint still exists, Paul says. The way things are supposed to be is written on the human heart, and yet deep down inside many times in our bodies, we experience, don't we feel it like it's out of joint? It's out of joint. There's discord. Our bodies were never designed to decay. Our bodies were never designed to break down. Do you know that our bodies were never designed to separate from our soul? Have you thought about that? They were never actually designed to separate from our soul. But we live as if they are just two pieces thrown together because we know they do come apart. Yes. But it was never meant to be that way. And so we groan. We groan right now. That's the groaning you're experiencing. That's the discord somebody's experiencing with their body. That's the illness or the body image issues or the clothing crisis or I don't like my hair. All of those things, it's the groaning because of that discord. We live now in this in-between time, Paul says in Romans 8, when we experience all the effects of sin, 
and the brokenness that brings to our bodies and our relationships. And so we groan waiting for something better. We're waiting for something better. So in the groaning period, how do we help ourselves? How do we help others? You know, there's a temptation to run to two extremes. When we are working through things in the church, gender issues, body issues, uh, cutting issues, depression issues, things where soul and body just aren't matching up. When someone presents some of these deep bodily issues to us, you know, even such as same-sex attraction or gender uh, discord, there's two temptations. Here's the first one. first one's affirm. The first temptation is to affirm. Just to wholeheartedly affirm and celebrate and say, yeah, you know what? If you're feeling it, it must be good for you. Go for it. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Be who you are. Find your own truth. Affirm. And we buy in. Yes, this is true for me, and that's where our culture lands today. But that's not helping anybody. You can just see the burnt-out lives that have bought into those lies of sexual revolution that say, follow it. Your heart says, do it, do it. It never works out. It never works out because we were designed. That's the one affirmed. Here's the other. The other is to reject. Sometimes it's out of fear. Sometimes it's out of, well, I don't know how to help right now or what to say if you have one of those moments. I, I don't know what to do. And so we can just, you know what, reject. I, I really don't have anything to do with you. Or I'm kind of going to distance myself from whatever this is because I just don't know how. And maybe we're there. Maybe you're there. Or a person rejects, either affirms or just rejects, and so they stuff it in the church. They stuff it. They never get help. They never admit they have problems. They just reject the whole thing. I can't even deal with this. Or they act their pain, their feeling deep down, and they just reject and stuff it. Affirm, reject. Neither of those are loving. Are they? Neither of those are loving. It's not loving to affirm something in someone that doesn't correspond to reality, to the way they were designed, to the fact that there's a maker who's going to hold them accountable. It will never bring true joy and freedom, and it's actually cruel. Hear me say that. It's actually cruel the way our culture is affirming things in people that will ultimately be destructive. It feels loving. It's been kind of repackaged and branded as uh, don't tell me what to do. Stay out of my bedroom and body. It's actually cruel. If this is all true, right? If this is all true, it's cruel. And the culture applauds it, but we want to be faithful, don't we? We want to be faithful to God. We can't affirm because we want to be faithful. But we cannot surely reject because we all have struggles. Each and every one of us are living with our different effects of the fall, with a bodily discord and, and sin of our own. And in fact, we know the gospel, we're all saved by grace anyways. The church should be, and we need to keep working to be, the place where we can say, you know, we're not surprised. I'm not surprised that you struggle with that. I'm not shocked, actually, even. 
We're not surprised that you're going through this. And with, through friendship and discipleship and, and, and non-condemning ears, say, we'll walk with you. And let's look together at a third way. Not re- affirm, not reject the person, but here it is. The redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies is the third way. We can't affirm if we want to be faithful to the Bible. We can't reject neither loving the redemption of our bodies. Chapter 8, 23, he says, Not only creation, but we ourselves, who are the first truth of the spirits, groan, may we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's the future hope. It's the glorious future of the redemption of our bodies when things will finally be set right. Does that mean that every issue here now is going to be done away with? No. Does that mean you'll, you'll stop struggling with your same-sex attraction and Jesus guarantees that? No. But he's going to save you both, soul and body, and someday you will. Do you realize, let's think about this as we close. Every body struggle we all face, all the way up to feeling like you're the wrong gender in the wrong body. Jesus can relate. And by that, I don't mean that he went through everything and experienced every single thing you have. But who but Jesus would have felt a strong discord in his body? Let's think about that for a minute. I mean, he's God eternal, creator of all things, omnipresent, and he takes on a limited spatial body that now hurts and now gets hungry too and doesn't feel right all of the time. And in that body too then, take it a step further, he took on sinfulness, yours and mine, and and broken body issues of all humanity on his shoulders on the cross. And then on that cross, our holy God was treated like a sinner. Is there ever more discord in humanity? (laughs) The holy God was treated like a good-for-nothing, dirty sinner. I mean, think about the discord there that Jesus must have felt, that Jesus must know. That body discord, that dysphoria he must have felt. What other God can sympathize with you in your gender dysphoria? And what other God? Your same-sex attraction. Your shame at your body type. Your failing health. Your aches and pains. Your emotional instability. None. Because no other God took on a body. He can sympathize with every weakness. That's the hope we have. You're not alone. And so as other Christians, we can come alongside and go, I have my own issues too. And the Lord has borne those on his back as well. And let's walk through this together. And if you can't quite go there yet, I don't know if I could do that with somebody that struggles with this or that or X, Y, or Z. Maybe just today, that's okay. Maybe ask yourself, why today? Maybe that's the first step for us, or you. Why couldn't I maybe feel comfortable enough sitting down with somebody to struggle with that? Maybe just ask yourself that today. But none. Nobody but Jesus took on a body to redeem us both soul and body. Now we groan, don't we? Are you groaning? You're like, yeah, let's get this sermon over with. I'm groaning. You're groaning. 
We wait. But the table, the table here shows us a better future, doesn't it? This table shows us a better future. You know, God gave them a visual picture in the garden, didn't he, a tree. Guess what? He knows we're still body creatures, so he gives you something physical here to touch, to taste, to hold, to put in your mouth, to pass to the person next to you. See, he still knows you live in a body. He knows you need to experience him through the body because he took on a body, and it was good when he did. He's going to save our body. To a time when they will always feel right. They will never feel wrong. They will be perfectly restored. You will do the things you've always dreamed that you could do in the body you have now that you can't. You will, and they will, and add to it, they'll never die. Pretty good. That's what this table shows us. And I know deep down inside your hearts, every one of us needs it. I love this quote we finished with today. Here's what Andrew Walker said. He said, we live in a Genesis 3 world, that's fallen, with a Genesis 1 blueprint. That's why we get the groaning. But we're on a trajectory to a Revelation 21 future. That's where we're going. And that's why we feel it. That's why we groan and that's what we wait for. Take a minute. In your heart and your mind even, for yourself, for those you know, come to the Lord with, with your own body issues. We all have them. Or those you know and care about deeply that are hurting. And just take a moment as our servers come forward, as our worship band gets ready, to spend some time between you and the Lord, um, seeking wholeness that only he can bring.